0: The kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. One young exile with uncompromising faith. This is God's grand plan to achieve the unimaginable. Well, good morning. It is Packed house today, right? This is awesome. So many people here. Um, But if our hearts aren't really engaged to worship a true God, then we're missing out. But I sense God's Spirit moving, bringing healing uh, to people this morning. And we want to continue that as we read God's Word. But uh, before we do that, I want to make a quick announcement. Uh, And that is that the elders and uh, Pastor Tom, our senior pastor, have uh, graciously extended a sabbatical uh, for me that I will be taking uh, with my wife, Emily, uh, just after Christmas uh, this year. Uh, As many of you know, the the past, yes, thank you. Uh, You know, it's part of our... Part of our policy that every seven years, you know, we should consider taking a sabbatical if you're part of the pastoral staff. Uh, Pastor Tom waited a little bit longer than that, uh, but encouraged me uh, this year to step into that and take it. And it really couldn't come uh, at a better time for our family. The last few years have been really crazy for you all, the world. We've all kind of experienced it. Uh, my wife and I got uh, thrown three kids at us in one year. God thought that would be really funny. Um, and so we, we got three kids and, and just family life, it's hard. And and we've just been navigating a lot, and so this is a great time for us to kind of press in, develop some healthy rhythms in our family. Uh, Also, ministry, just life has been crazy. Churches were impacted all around the country over the past few years, and and God's been really gracious to Fox Valley, but we still experienced uh, a lot of of things going on. So ministry's been hard. Uh, We had some staff turnover, and I've been able to step into uh, some different roles and opportunities, and I've been so thankful for Pastor Tom uh, enabling me to do that. And yet now is the time to kind of practice what I preach, palms up, Full surrendered God, what are you calling uh, me into and my wife into in this next season of ministry? And so we covet your prayers as we do uh, go through this. Uh, just a couple things, though. The, the sabbatical is going to have three phases, if you will rest, reflect, and study. So we're going to be spending some time with the family, with extended family. We're going to have a, a pastoral retreat that we're going to attend and do some counseling. Uh, I'm going to be continuing my education at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. So I'll be starting a class in January and this is a great time for us to uh, have uh, some health in ministry and longevity in ministry, which my wife and I both want, and she will be stepping away as communications director because how in the world would she still work here uh, and me be able to step away? So it's great that, that we put some things in place. An email's going out this week that has some more details about that, but God has been really good. I'm excited about what he's going to do. I've never, been, I've never been more excited about ministry than I am heading into this sabbatical, so excited what God is going to do. we're In a transition part of our uh, series, Daniel's 1 through 6 are kind of held together, and Daniel's 7 through 12 are held together. So, what better time to do a little recap of how we got here so you all can go home and in the car ride explain what happens in each chapter in Daniel? I'm going to give my goals in two minutes if you want to time me. Here we go. Daniel chapter 1, the big bad Babylonians come into town. They take Daniel and other elite members from Jerusalem, these teenagers, they haul them on a two month trip uh, to Babylon where they learn a new language language have a new culture they get new names they get government jobs and they're trying to be conformed into the Babylonian culture but Daniel and his friends they stay faithful the first test is to not eat the food sacrificed to idols and God provides for them chapter 2 in chapter 2 king Nebuchadnezzar or king Neb has a vision of this statue and four metals but then this meteor comes and the dream is human kingdoms will ultimately be destroyed by the kingdom of God and Daniel is able to interpret the dream And so King Neb puts Daniel over all of Babylon. Chapter three, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to stand the test to do what's either easy or what's right. They do what's right, and they do not bow down to the golden statue. So they're thrown in the fiery furnace. God delivers them. In fact, his presence is there, a fourth person in the fire to show that God is with us. In trials, they're delivered. King Neb recognizes God, but not for too long because in chapter four, we see the king uh, humbled. King Neb is humbled because he thinks he's awesome He looks, look what I've created. This is all me. God goes, no, it's not you. So he sends him in the wilderness to be a beast for a period of time until he's humbled. He comes back and acknowledges God. Chapter 5, his son, King Belshazzar, uh, similarly thinks he's awesome. He sees some writing on the wall, which is really creepy, in the middle of a a drinking party. And uh, what happens, ironically, is the Medo-Persians come in that very night of the drinking party. Talk about party poopers, Persian poopers, right? The Persians come in, and they take... Over And then in Daniel 6, that's the new superpower. King Darius, the Meadow Persians, are in charge. And Daniel, as an older man in his 80s, is put to the test again. Are you kidding me, God, right? And he is thrown into the lion's den just for praying to his God. But an angel of the Lord shuts the mouth of Mufasa and Simba and Nala. And, and God delivers him from that. And King Darius goes, Apostle Paul, on all of us and says, look at who God is. He's amazing. And that's where we get to chapter 7. Are you with me? All right. Amen. Amen, go home and do that in the car, right, right, on your way home, but, but God's good. Chapters one through six were held together because they're a description of the life and times of Daniel, and it's primarily written in Aramaic, which is interesting because God wanted the people in Babylon to understand these stories. Chapters seven through 12 is primarily in Hebrew, and it's more of the visions that Daniel has about the future, so if you're able to turn or, or to stand with me, let's stand, let's turn our Bibles to Daniel chapter seven, Uh, We stand as a way of honoring uh, the word of God. We're going to start with verses 1 through 8. This is the word of the Lord. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another." After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. This is God's word. You can go ahead uh, and be seated. The main idea today is that evil rulers dominate the world until God reigns victoriously with his people. Evil kings or evil empires, evil rulers who will dominate the world until God reigns victoriously with his people. Let's pray. Uh, Father, God, as we look at this story, which to us might sound crazy, would you reveal your power? Would you reveal your might that you are everlasting? You are the ancient of days, and we worship you as we submit to your word this morning. God, would you do imaginably more than we could ever ask or imagine right now by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you move and humble us to acknowledge you in our life as Lord and King. And we pray this in the name of King Jesus. Amen. 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 What a crazy dream. Does anyone have dreams like this? <laughs> right, Beasts, horns, and, and they're coming out of the sea, which right represented just unknown in ancient days. The Great Sea was usually referring to the Mediterranean Sea. And it was unknown. What is going on down there? there are there monsters or there are there beasts? And so these are coming out. But before we unpack each one, I, I think what should be noted is we, the original audience wouldn't have been as weirded out by this as we are, because animals and imagery and symbolism were used in Scripture. It was more normal back then than it is for us. So just, just to be aware of that, uh, they wouldn't have been quite as, as weirded out as maybe we are, uh, but we see animals throughout Scripture. It happens in, in, with Uh, Pharaoh and Exodus. Uh, We see it in the prophets, these wild beast uh, imagery uh, representing some different things. And so I want to throw a picture up so you all have uh, nightmares tonight um, because uh, visuals are are really helpful, aren't they? And I got to give my wife kudos. She does such a good job with some of these designs to make this come to life. Yeah, amen. Um, And so this is where we're at. You came to church today to talk about wild beasts. That's great. Um, it's, It's exciting, right? And so this is an attempt to say, this is maybe what these beasts look like. So we can imagine what's going on. The first beast in verse four is a lion with eagle's wings. And a lion represented strength and beauty. And sometimes it was a, a good thing. It represented something good, like the Lion of Judah, right, King Jesus. And other times, it represented uh, destruction or, or warning. In fact, right, we um, read about in Isaiah chapter 5 that Babylon was a roaring lion seizing Jerusalem. So this picture uh, would have been familiar. And it has eagle's wings, which is, which is not normal. And that <laughs> eagle's represented strength uh, the lion eagle eventually stands on two feet with the mind of a man. It's kind of interesting. In verse 5, the second beast is like a bear, right? Bears are ferocious, they're, they're powerful, uh, they're, they're big, and the bear's holding three ribs in his mouth, so he's, he's killed something and he's got these bones and he's told to arise and devour much flesh. That's scary stuff. And then in verse 6, the third beast is like a leopard, They're known for their swiftness and speed, Uh, but this particular leopard had four wings on its back and and four heads. I've never seen a leopard with four heads, by the way, but um, this is a really crazy picture, a strange dream that he's having, and then the the fourth beast is different and hard to identify, but Daniel says it's terrifying and dreadful. It's indescribable, so we're going to call the fourth beast the mega beast, okay? Everybody say that with me. Mega beast, right? Okay, we're going to call the fourth beast the mega beast. And uh, he he was scary. He had ten horns, but then he had this little horn that knocks three others down. This is all very, very strange. And we start to get the shape of something like maybe a dragon, And I, I wanna just point out really briefly that uh, we read in Psalm 75 and some other passages, horns represented uh, power and royalty. So what, what's trying to be established here is this fourth mega beast, right, has a royal aspect to it, it has power. And, and so we're supposed to be kinda scared about this. And it has an eye and a mouth on this one little horn and, and which speaks arrogantly, which is crazy. And um, yeah, so you came to church to talk about mega beasts. All right, we're we're gonna jump to verse 15 together, but don't worry, we're bouncing around a little bit, but we are gonna hit these different passages. But let's go to verse uh, 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions uh, of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts, are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. All right, Daniel is alarmed. He's concerned, as you would be and I would be, right? We would wake up sweating from this crazy dream and terrified. And so he's, he's disturbed and we're told that these four beasts represent four kings or rulers that will rise and oppress uh, God's people. And most scholars believe these are the same four kings or kingdoms that were in King Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. So you can go back and kind of reference that. Remember the statue with the four medals represented four uh, kingdoms. So there's such parallel. But I want to I wanna bring out a difference that I think is really significant of King Neb's dream and, and Daniel's dream and one is from the perspective of man and one is from the perspective of god so when man uh, has when king nebuchadnezzar has this dream he sees uh, these kings and kingdoms as as royalty he sees them as imposing monuments work of art valuable metal and god sees these same things as hideous and unnatural as wild beasts and so we get this totally different uh, this comparison of these uh, kings or kingdoms. God sees it as unnatural and wild when man exalts himself and man sees himself as, as beautiful. Uh, most scholars think that the lion is King Nebuchadnezzar and represents Babylon and the bear is, is Medo-Persia or it's uh, King Cyrus. The leopard is Alexander the Great or, or the Greeks. The mega-beast a lot of believe is the Roman Empire. And, and that's a pretty good interpretation. Um, so, but I don't wanna to spend too much time there because the truth is, uh, God didn't say exactly what they represented. And so we can spend a bunch of time uh, trying to think through it, and, and that's okay, and, and people should. Um, but, I'm gonna suggest that the focus of the story is actually not on the identification of the various uh, four beasts. Assuming there are only, right, four, because the usage of four throughout scripture represents universality. It's it's like full coverage. So I I think it would be also a biblical interpretation that that would be uh, good is that this represents more than just four beasts. Um, But we don't really know uh, for sure. And more on this to come. But what we need to know is that God knows the future and he reveals it as he pleases. God knows the future and reveals it as he pleases. And he's choosing uh, to give some of it to Daniel uh, right now, but not all the specifics. Haven't you noticed that? Like you want something from God and he just gives you some bits and pieces. He makes you trust in him. And may I suggest he wants you to actually focus on him, not all the details of what's going on. And so Daniel, though, is having a hard time with this. He's very fixated on the beast, as I think maybe we would be. And as people in history, many Christians have been trying to uh, identify him. Let's continue on. We're going to jump to verse 19. Daniel wants more information here. He says, Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws, of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the 10 horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the most high. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the 10 horns out of this kingdom, 10 kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Uh, The Most High shall uh, possess the kingdom forever. This is good news, but there's also concerning news, right? We read about this mega beast uh, destroying the earth, trampling it, breaking it to pieces and he gets a little bit more information about these horns. They represent uh, 10 kings or, or kingdoms that will come. In and, and the Bible, the number 10 is similar to number four. When, when we get in apocalyptic literature, we have to look at numbers and, and the symbolism with them, but 10 even more so represents like completion or, or fullness. So it, it could be exactly 10 kings uh, that are gonna arise, or it just could be saying uh, many kings are going to come and arise. And again, I think those are both fair Interpretations. And now we we really get this strange picture of this horn. And uh, here's uh, our attempt to make sense of what a talking horn uh, would be. You know, as I was looking at it this morning, I thought, wouldn't this be like kind of a fun craft project to make that little horn? You know, like maybe we should tell Journeyland that they should make uh, these little talking horns as a craft project. No, some people are shaking their heads. No, okay, that's fine. Uh, But anyway, so we have this horn. This is so strange. And it's saying he's, he's going to be a ruler and he's going to be a big-time ruler and he's going to take down uh, three others. He establishes dominance. He speaks against God. He speaks against God's people. And it says for time, times, and half a time, that would be three and a half, some people think that's a literal three and a half years, others believe it's more symbolic, but it it points to this tribulation time, it points to like things are gonna get uh, really bad, and most people believe, rightfully so, that this is the infamous person, the Antichrist. This is uh, the Antichrist, the evil person that will rise up uh, during the end times. And Tom says this a lot, Pastor Tom, but these are the end times. So so make no mistake, in fact, when you read in the New Testament, the early church and the apostles believed they were living in the end times 2,000 years ago. So we too are in the end times. But uh, when it comes toward the very end, an antichrist uh, will come. But I want to remind us in 1 John 2.18 that it talks about there are many antichrists. Because what does that mean? It means someone who is anti-Christ, right, someone who is against Christ, so many have come, many will still come, that's what John says, and he says, you know someone's an antichrist if they oppose the father and the son, if they deny uh, the father and the son, and, and so John has said that, but John also believes that there's going to be an ultimate kind of antichrist in bodily form that, that uh, is represented, that's Satan, right, and I want to read this, this vision from uh, John in Revelation 13, because you're going to see a lot of similarities with our text today. So this is John. He says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth." And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, which is three and a half years. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven." Okay, this sounds super familiar, right? We can compare John's beast with this little horn in Daniel 7, that there's going to be an Antichrist who comes and speaks against the Most High. He makes life miserable for Christians, wears uh, them out, changes the times and law, and it will appear as if evil has won. It will appear as if all hope is lost, but God has something to say about it. Let's move back to to verse 9 in our story, the Ancient of Days. I love the song we sang today, none before him, right? None above him. All of time is in his hands. All right, verse 9, as I looked, uh, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. "'His throne was fiery flames. "'Its wheels were burning fire. "'A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. "'A thousand thousand served him, "'and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. "'The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened.' We have a heavenly courtroom scene uh, here, and God the Father is is the Ancient of Days, and He's on the throne. Here's a picture of what that might look like. His white clothes represent purity. His white hair is wisdom. If any of my uh, brothers and sisters in Christ got some white hair coming in, or some gray, just tell everyone around you. This is because God's instilling a lot of wisdom in my life right now, right? Or if you don't have a lot of hair like me, it's it's wisdom that God is really moving, okay? Uh, So we have this picture, uh, of, of a wise, pure figure on the throne. And, and his throne is on wheels, which actually uh, I read is something that, that would happen. Many uh, rulers had thrones on wheels, I guess so people could push them around like a baby in a stroller, kind of funny. But uh, God, he's got like this hot rod, hot wheels car, right? Fire coming out uh, of the wheels, this amazing uh, divine power. in Isaiah in Isaiah 66, describes the judgment of God like fire. So it's very similar. There's a sense of judgment is coming. He's rebuking with the flames of fire. He's judging all flesh. God has fury and judgment against unrighteousness. There's a power of God, a fear of God that we should have. And the Ancient of Days, it says he opens the books. And a little side comment, because I love the kindness of God, that he stoops down to us so that we understand him. So do you think that God needs a book, a book of life or book of remembrance to know who has trusted in him? No, he doesn't need that at all. It's symbolic, and God oftentimes uses language in scripture just to help us relate to him so that we would understand him more. And because kings and rulers and governments throughout the history of the world have kept documents of who has done what, so they can rightfully pay or give tribute to that person, God is just reaching his hand down saying, listen, I know who is in the book of life. I have it all figured out, and here's my little symbolic book, so you just know I have it uh, taken care of. I love this. We, we get a picture of uh, 10,000 times 10,000, which is 100 million, you know, claiming Christ's worthiness, a picture of humanity standing at judgment. Now, second point today is every person, evil rulers and godly saints will face judgment. Every single person in the history of the world will meet their maker and will face judgment. And either you are going to be at the judgment seat of Christ, where you will be judged for your works, good and bad, but ultimately have salvation because of your faith in Christ. Or unbelievers will be at the great white throne judgment, and they will give an account for their works, and they will be thrown into the lake of fire Hell is a, is a real place. It's a terrifying place. Just read Revelation 20. Write that down. And later, go read about this place that Satan will be bound forever. It's not death like we think of it, where, where you just cease to exist. It is eternal torment and separation from God and all uh, that is, is good. There's only one hope that you and I have. And it's not going to be impressing God on your list of all the good things that you did in your life. It's going to be that you have identified with Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. Uh, In fact, the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, Our best acts of righteousness are filthy rags before a holy God. But he loved you and me so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for our sins, that uh, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And if you believe that you're a sinner and, and that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life, if you believe in your heart uh, that he is Lord, and that he died for your sin and that he conquered death and you confess that with your mouth, you will be saved. You'll be in the book of life and have the hope of eternity, which we're gonna talk about in just a few minutes. All right, we're gonna jump ahead to verse 13 where things get uh, super exciting and fascinating. Uh, Verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one uh, that shall not be destroyed. Okay, the Son of Man is going up to meet the Ancient of Days, the Father, and he's receiving authority from on high, dominion, uh, glory, a kingdom. So what does the Son of Man mean? It's a phrase used in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I think most significantly in the New Testament by King David in Psalm 8. You could write this down in your notes. Psalm 8, verse, starting with verse 4, it says this, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field. Uh, David, some 500 years before our story, is already unpacking what the son of man would be. And those who attended Sunday school or Awanas growing up, you got your Jesus radar going off, right? Like son of man, isn't, isn't, that, isn't that like Jesus? And, and that's good. I, I want to affirm that. It's really good because Jesus was quite keen on Daniel chapter 7. I think, I think it was maybe one of his favorite passages in all the Bible because he refers to it a lot in his ministry. He refers to it a lot. And in fact, the name that he prefers for himself more than any other name comes exactly from Daniel 7, son of man. He was called Christ, he was called Messiah, anointed one, right? He accepted that, but he didn't choose that for himself. He chose Son of Man. And I want to bring one instance where he talks about it, and it's a good instance. It's powerful. Matthew chapter 26, okay, Jesus is arrested and he's taken to sit before the Sanhedrin and the high priest. The high priest Caiaphas was the most powerful man in Jerusalem, and these uh, men are trying to really wrongfully put Jesus to death. Illegitimate reasons for healing people, for preaching about a kingdom that's coming, and they want him uh, to die. And so there's all these false accusations uh, that are being thrown his way. It says that in Matthew chapter 26. But then in verse 63, Caiaphas, the high priest, cuts to the chase. He says, are you the Christ. Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? And you know what Jesus says? He's so brilliant. He says, you say, you, you say I am. You have said so. I love that. He's like, I, this is still not how I'm choosing uh, to first and foremost call myself, but, but you've said that I'm the Messiah. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Does that sound familiar? Daniel chapter 7. This is a direct reference. Jesus is identifying himself as that human uh, figure in our text today. In fact, I want to bring them up so you can see both of them and some of the similarities from Matthew 26 and Daniel chapter 7. This idea of the Son of Man, the idea of coming on the clouds of heaven, of approaching God or the Ancient of Days. Now, If you were to dress up in a raggedy robe and uh, had long gray or white hair and a long beard, and you had a staff, and you went to a Lord of the Rings convention, and and you went up to people with your staff and you stuck it in the ground and said, you shall not pass, and you hit it on the ground, everybody would know that you were pretending to be who? Gandalf. Gandalf, that's right. Why? Because you have a bunch of Lord of the Rings nerds in a room and they know exactly what you're doing. Or if you were to go to a Star Wars, and I tell you, I think I'm a Lord of the Rings nerd. I don't know about going to a convention justin like Gandalf, but I like Lord of the Rings. But if you were to go to a Star Wars convention, and you were to wear a black mask with a cape and a lightsaber and breathe heavily and tell people that you're their father, who would people think you are? Darth, Darth Vader. Vader. That's right. Association. Well, they're Star Wars nerds. In our text, the Sanhedrin, are Bible nerds they know exactly what Jesus is doing. They memorize the scriptures, they knew the scriptures. And essentially, by Jesus identifying himself as the Son of Man in Daniel 7, it's like Jesus is saying to Caiaphas, the moment you condemn me is the moment the Son of Man is vindicated before the throne of God. If Jesus is the Son of Man, then who does that make Caiaphas in the Sanhedrin? as they're opposing him, trying to kill him. A mega-beast? At, at, the, at the least, there's a suggestion that you are taking on the spirit of an antichrist. You are opposing me, you are killing King Jesus. So, so how do you think they respond? They are ticked off, because they're essentially being called beasts here in this text, and that's exactly, this scene is what leads to him being nailed to the cross. It ticks them off. And so, as we look at Daniel chapter seven, I wanna just suggest that maybe there are more than four beasts or four rulers. Daniel, in this dream, there could be in mind four exact kings or kingdoms that very well could be with a historical idea. But I believe in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus, Jesus is saying something here. He's referencing that beasts are something that humans become. Uh, Caiaphas was an antichrist opposing Jesus and when human beings exalt themselves, they become hideous, beasts, and unnatural. And Daniel 7 is a reference to the end times, but it's also a way to think about human history and mankind rejecting God. With apocalyptic literature, what's important for us to know is it's less about giving specific, exact details, and more about using powerful imagery to appeal to your emotions, to provoke uh, big feelings. And the temptation for us, and it's good, the temptation is to prove that the Bible's true, and to say, look, this is clearly how all this happened, and when it happened, and here's when Jesus uh, is going to come back, and I, I think it's okay to do some of that. But the hope of this, the point of this, is to give God's People, a confidence that in difficult times that have come, in difficult times that will come, God has a plan. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He's going to take care of it all. Jesus would be trampled. He would die, just like Daniel seven kind of references, but eventually he would be vindicated to the right hand of God. I want to finish our text. Let's jump to verse twenty-six. Verse 26 But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole earth, under the whole heaven, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel. My thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter uh, in my heart. Verse 26 refers to that little horn, and guess what happens? Uh, it's destroyed. Uh, it faces judgment. Uh, God destroys the little horn. He destroys the Antichrist. He destroys uh, evil, and, and this courtroom judgment, Jesus meets up with the Ancient of Days in heaven and his saints... And we're told that Jesus reigns and the saints are given an everlasting kingdom. Uh, The Ancient of Days has the final authority and say on what's going to happen and he places Jesus on the throne. The last point this morning is the Son of Man will victoriously reign on the throne. He's at the right hand of the Father right now. There is a sense of him reigning now, but he's gonna come back, and it's gonna be rain on this earth, and there's gonna be no mistake uh, who is in charge. And the power of the story, church family, isn't to identify exactly who the beasts are. The power of the story is God's plan to accomplish the unimaginable through his son, the son of man, Jesus Christ. And over human history, right, kingdoms have, have come, have fallen uh, there have been times of beasts who are against Jesus and the saints. The Roman Empire was a beast. And we saw Hitler and Saul and all these other figures uh, who were beasts that revolt against God. But Jesus has the final say. He has all authority. And for Daniel, let, let's go back to Daniel. Because here's this man. He's got a dream. I don't know how old he was. This takes place in between chapters 4 and 5. Um, in, in our story. So I'm not sure how old he is. It's after King Neb has left the scene. King Belshazzar's here. But, but Daniel has this dream. It says a few times it was at night. So he's sleeping. And it's concerning and it's good news. 2,500 years ago, isn't that crazy to think about? We're, we're reading a story about 2,500 years ago. 2,500 years ago, God met Daniel with this vision. The Babylonian empire will end. But guess what? Another empire is going to come but then they're going to end. Another evil empire is going to come and then they're going to end. They're going to revolt against God and and God's people and ultimately there's going to be an antichrist uh, that comes to bring uh, this hardship and sets the stage for this crazy, big, epic battle. Do you ever wonder why we're so fascinated by these fantasy books and movies that talk about godlike figures and uh, conquering death and defying uh, limits and laws? It's because God has put eternity in your hearts, and, and we long and we desire for this, and the Ancient of Days will win. So Daniel is conflicted. It's scary, but there's hope. And for you and me, it's similar, because we face hardship, we face trial. Some of you are in a deep trial right now you're in a deep season, and, and what are you to do? Where, where's your hope? Because although this prophecy was partially fulfilled, it's not been fully fulfilled. So beasts will come, and you have that same outlook as Daniel. Beasts will come, beasts have come. So what do we do? I think Romans eight eighteen gives us some beautiful insight. Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Your suffering might be significant, it might be big, it might be uh, hard uh, felt, but when you balance it with being with God for eternity, Paul's saying it's not worth comparing. It's not. So what do we do? We have to fix our eyes on eternity. Daniel, don't look just at the beast right in front of you. Focus on the end. Focus on eternity. Children of God here this morning, don't focus on the evil and the sufferings that you've experienced right now. Focus on Eternity, uh, Parents, one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids, this, this is free, I'm gonna give you this, uh, this, this uh, bit right here, and, and I think it's good, I think this is a good word. One of the best things you can do for your kids is teach them that you were made for someone and made for something. You were made for Jesus Christ, and you were made for heaven, God's dwelling place, to be with him forever, which is one day going to come down and be here on this earth. We too will get to reign with God. I love that God includes us. It doesn't just say that Jesus is going to reign. We as his saints are going to reign. So it's personal for us. I want to close this morning by reading from Revelation chapter 21. It's a beautiful picture of what awaits God's children. If we are to look at the future... Let's get a vision uh, for what God says it's going to be like. And I want to give you two options. You can do option A, and you can just look at this text while I read it. Or option B, you can close your eyes and hear this and picture that day. Just like Kate beautifully let us in earlier, is picture that day when we're meeting God face to face. I'm going to read this over us all. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but God has an unimaginable plan, a vision far bigger than you and I could dreamed up, to make it all right, where those former days will be no more. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we long for the day for you to wipe away the tears of sorrow, the sting of death and we persevere and we trust in your plan uh, to accomplish these things. We long for the day the Son of Man sits as judgment and as king where there's no more suffering and we can just uh, breathe in, inhale the air of heaven (laughs) where there is no more pain, where there is just worship, perfect worship, perfect rest. Shalom and your presence. God, would you help us supernaturally by the power of your Spirit, focus on eternity, to focus on God, the Ancient of Days, who is in control and the Son of Man, who is our King and our Savior. We long for that day. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand? Let's respond as we sing to God.